Hallelujah. And if anybody appreciates it more, it's probably Randy because he was the only one here that was going to unload those, those chairs. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to two passages of Scripture. We're going to get into something that's going to be very challenging for us here today. If you'll just bear with me, I'm going to try to stick as close to my notes as I can because I got so much bottled up in me. I'm afraid that if I get going out here that... Uh, We'll not be able to finish what the Lord really wants to speak to us. But I believe the Lord was specific with me. I believe that he really laid some foundations in my spirit about the church, about the church world, or where we're at on the timetable of God and what God's up to. How many is excited to find out what God's up to for a change? Amen. We hear about what politicians are up to and what this is up to and how the world's going here. And But what's God up to? How's God going to move? What 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 is on the mind of God. I believe that the Lord will give us those things if we'll seek him for it. If you'll uh, stand for the declaration, then I'll have you be seated for this, uh, the word. But the declaration, we're going to do that together. If they'll put that up on there, please. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. How many believe that? Amen. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Jesus Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Now give him praise for what he said. Amen. You may be seated. Two different passages of scripture I'm going to have you set because they're a little bit lengthy. Starting with Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 15. We read this two weeks ago. And they came to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers of the seats of them that sold doves. And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessels through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how that they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. Now look at with me, Matthew chapter 21, starting with verse 12. You're going to... Uh, ask why in the world am I doing this? It'll, it'll make more sense when we get at the end of the sermon. And Jesus went into the temple of God, and he cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables that, uh, that of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house should be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased and said unto him, hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, yea, have you never heard? Out of the mouth of babes and suckling thou hast perfected praise. I'm going to ask Elder Marvin, Brother Marvin, would you stand and ask the Lord's blessing on the word, please? Amen. You know, a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon out of Mark chapter 11, and I also want to reflect on this sermon of Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 21. A lot of people say, well, why did you read both of them? Because they are the same event. They are not the same event. That's where people begin to not understand what actually took place here. Before I get started, I want to remind you that the message is in no way stating that what you hear in this sermon is actually where I believe that we as the palace of praise are at. However, I want to forewarn us and reveal to us that the enemy is trying to do what he's trying to 
do to the church to make it rendered ineffective and especially to make it to where it's rejected by God. I do not want to be ineffective. How many wants to be effective in the kingdom of God? I want to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou has been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joys of the Lord today. I want to hear the Lord say that about each and every one of us as members of the palace of praise. But I do not want to hear him depart from me. I never knew you. Amen. I also will admit that even though I believe that what I'm about to reveal and to preach is where the big portion of the church world in general is at, yet I also believe that even among the remnant churches that there is elements, bits, and pieces and portions of things that begin to begin to come into the church that you and I are going to have to deal with as the body of Christ, as a congregation. And even though that God is blessing us, and even though I think we got a great church, we got to beware, folks, because there is bits and pieces of things that the enemy would like to interject that we will have to deal with in the end time to keep us in the right, uh, right way of worship and the right way of leadership. First of all, I hope that you can take this sermon to heart because I believe that we're on the verge of a Pentecostal epoch. And everybody says, well, what in the world is an epoch? It is the beginning of a particular period of time marked by distinct features, events, and happenings. It is the beginning of memorable events that will forever cause the period of time to be remembered. It is a happening that will earmark a specific time and cause it to be forever etched in the time of history. In other words, I'm telling you, get ready. We're about to enter into a season of supernatural. We're about to enter into a season of the phenomenon. How many believe that? Do you really believe that with me? If you believe that, you ought to get excited, folks, because I'm here to preach faith here today that we're about to enter into a new realm of dimension of the Spirit at the Palace of Praise. If you believe that, shout amen. Amen. We're about to be thrust into a new era that will be as significant as the Reformation itself. And we all know Martin Luther, who is known as the father of the Reformation. And when we think of Martin Luther, we think of a spiritual giant that changed the course of time during his life and through his ministry. However, in many ways, do you not understand that you and I are just like Martin Luther? Luther was an unknown, inconsequential monk, a nobody in a nobody town, teaching at a no-play no seminary. And he planned no revolution when he posted those 95 theses on the door of the castle church. It was simply an exercise of conscience to him. And I want to tell you something. Your pastor has been visited by the Lord and he has given me a conscience. And I'm going to obey that conscience. Be just like Martin Luther. Listen to what Luther said. He said, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand and I can do no otherwise. God help me. Amen. We need that kind of a conscience to where we're moved and persuaded by the word of God. Can you have an amen? Little did he know this would cause him to be known as a reformer. He had no clue about what was about to follow in his life and how his life would be shaken up. Nor did he understand the consequences of the fruit that would follow his behavior on that day when he nailed those theses to that door. As a result of what he did, he was thrust into what they call a due dimension spiritually. What he did caused him to be thrust into a deep dependence upon God. And that's where we're at. We're on the threshold of that right now here at the Palace of Praise. Out of this, what Luther done, came an enlightening theology of the cross. We all know the history of that. It was justification by faith. Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to what Luther said. He said, from the beginning of my reformation, I have asked God to send me neither dreams, nor visions, nor angels, but to give me the right understanding of his word, the holy scriptures. For as long as I have God's word, I know that I am walking in his way and that I shall not fall into error or delusion. Oh, that makes me want to preach right there. Amen. All across America and around the world, men and women of conscience and of faith now sense that something is desperately wrong in this 21st century movement called the church. Can I have an amen? There is a gnawing. There is an achening. There's an uncomfortable sense of feeling in that the very core and the soul of men and women of faith concerning the condition
vision of the operation of the church in this 21st century. We are hungry to see what our forefathers seen. We are hungry to see something happen in the body of Christ that's been written throughout the book of Acts. We are desiring once again to see the phenomenal move of God to where he would manifest himself in this very time. And yet we proclaim that we are in the manifestation season. This was the same sense of feeling that old Luther had. It was the same sense of feeling that moved John Wesley to organize a small discipleship group, which was the method that successfully drove the Methodist church and gave them their growth in the early years. It is the same conscience that influenced most all of the reformers in search of a genuine, authentic, apostolic faith. It was a cry for change, for realness, to stop doing church as usual. It drove George Whitefield, even though that he, he launched no movement, yet he sparked a great awakening that gave birth to a whole nation. And when you look at our history, the history of the church of God, we want you to understand that you will see that it, we also see that it was what was driving our founding fathers, that sense of urgency to find God, to seek and to understand and have a deeper understanding of who God was. They were tired of the dead, cold, indifferent, lethargic churches that only produced religion and not righteousness. Aren't you ready for a righteous move of God for a change? Amen. How many's hungry with me here in this building? Are you with me as I preach? Men like R.G. Sperling in our movement who had a desire for authentic New Testament faith. They were in search for the missing link that would unite the body of Christ together to where phenomenal things could happen. This Baptist preacher and a few companion believers who were in search came in contact with what was known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues after 10 long years of seeking. That group which is known as the church Church of God today came in contact together in 1886 and there they sought God and they opened the scriptures and they began to, they, they were from all different denominations, R.G. Sperling uh, he was a Baptist minister but he said I'm hungry, there's something missing, we're not finding what who God is and for 10 years them men hungered and sought and prayed and then in 1896 the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell upon that little group of men and out of that was birthed this denomination called the church of God that is now coming up in the million, ten, almost 10 million strong. I want to tell you if you think that was great of what got done in our early history, I'm here to tell you you ain't seen anything yet because what God done once, he's about to do it again. Oh hallelujah. If you believe that, stand to your feet and praise him. Amen. As the, as the firebrands of Pentecost began to burn and fall upon these young, this young church, it gave a deep understanding of the revelation of who God was. Now here we stand in the 21st century in need again. I said we're in need again. Whether we want to stand up and smell the coffee or not, we must face the fact that your church itself its integrity, its mission, its character, its influence, its definition is at stake now more than ever before in the history of the world. Amen? If there's ever a time that we need God and need to know God, it's now. We need to come to know who God is. In such a moment as this, it's time for a new reformation. If he done it again, can he, if he done it once, can he not do it again? Say, do it again. Say, do it again. Say, do it again. Now say it like you mean it. Now praise him for it. Amen. Because he's going to do it. We need God to move to where the typical church attender can no longer define the church services. The church, once again, must become mysterious, a place of mystery where you never know what in the world is going to happen. As a matter of fact, for most in the 21st century, the church is a building, a Sunday service, a kind of a religious club. It's song and a sermon. It's a place for Christian activity. It's a place for family fun. It's a place for family connection. It's a place to ease your conscience. It's a place to make you feel good. It's a place that, you know, that you're supposed to go. It becomes a responsibility. Let me ask you a question. Is the church to be merely a social club, a social institution? Is that what we're about, even though it's important that we socialize? 
Is it primarily a charitable and benevolent organization where it shows compassion to the poor? Is that what we're all about is just showing compassion to the poor? Is it a house of religious entertainment and inspiration only? Is its purpose just to be on moral education? Let's just preach morals and get people to try to live right. What is the church? What's its purpose? What's its mission? What did Jesus say about the church? Overwhelmingly, the stats show that most people believe that the church to be an institution designed to serve them in some capacity. In surveying people, over 90% chose their church due to how the church ministered and met their personal needs, and not one of them said it was the place that they could serve the kingdom of God and enhance the will of God upon the earth for their lives. Some treat it as a college of Christian services offered to attendees for donations. This view is crippling, it's pragmatic, it's narcissistic, and it's far from the biblical norm. Let me say this. It's time for a new reformation. It's time for a visit of heaven upon earth. I want to tell you it's a time for a new awakening. It is a time for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost and fire once again upon a nation. Look at the early church before the book of Acts. Three times annually, Jerusalem swelled with a feast day, religious pilgrims. People from all over the world, world came to these feast days. One of those annual seasons was what was known as, we all know it, as Passover. It is estimated that the city would be overwhelmed by a million people or more in the city of Jerusalem. For every resident, there was as many, as many as 20 visitors that would be in the streets of that city. Matter of fact, during Passover, when you walked out of your house, you didn't even know who it was. You looked around in that little small city and you thought you knew everybody, but you don't because there's a million new people standing there that week. This meant that the city would grow over 20 times its size during this annual feast. The economy depended upon these feasts. However, we see in the scripture that Jesus challenged the temple authorities twice by his disruptive actions with the money changers and the sellers of them that sold sacrificial animals. The first time he'd done this was at the beginning of his ministry in Mark chapter 11. In the very start of his ministry, one of the first things he was determined to do was to confront the entrenched establishments and cleanse the temple. In other words, you know what he came to do? He came to drain the swamp. Can I have an amen? Now, don't put that politically. I just threw that in, okay? The temple system had become greedy, exploitive, corrupt, and even self-serving. Jesus confronted the sellers and the traders and the money changers by going in and disrupting them by turning over their tables and chewing them out. Now, what would happen, as we said two weeks ago, Jesus would do that right now. This happened in our text in Mark chapter 11 at the beginning of his ministry. This was the very reason he had come in the first place, to tear down one temple so he could raise up another. You hearing what I'm saying? He came to confront the old settled establishment and to take down the walls of religion. Aren't you ready for the walls of religion to come tumbling down? I believe in the spirit realm. This was the very cause to which he is now committed in the 21st century church. He's here to do the exact same thing that he started in his ministry when he came there in Mark chapter 11. The very early start of his ministry, Jesus confronted them and let them know that the temple did not belong to the priest. The temple did not belong to the people. The temple belonged to his father. Can I have an amen? It was evident that even though there were great religious celebrations and feasts, there was great multitudes that crowded into the temple area to offer sacrifice, go through religious protocol. There was great excitement. Electricity had fueled and filled the air over Jerusalem. There was laughter. There was celebration, even joyful expressions among the people. Yet what they were doing was pathetic in the face of God. Going through the motions but failing to meet spiritual condition. With all the money that was spent, the time that was spent, the sacrifices that was offered, yet there was miserable inadequacy in what they were doing. Even though they were doing it with passion, they were doing it with energy, they were doing it with excitement, they were doing it with great effort, and even though the crowds came running in, yet the people remained dry and empty, misplaced and lost. Can you imagine that? What looked like a movement... What looked like a revival, a supernatural phenomenon, was nothing more than religious rhetoric. It produced religious rigor, but it lacked in sincere and meaningful content. It lacked authenticity. It had no genuine content that would cause people to be free and break loose from the yoke and the bondage of sin in their life. They walked in one way and turned around and walked out the same way they came in. Can I have an amen? The temple had become big business. Did you not understand that? 
Oh, the court of the Gentiles that was devoted by God in Scripture to foreigners who would, would come to inquire about Israel's God and to worship. It was a place where the Gentile become a proselyte Jew and be accepted into the faith. It now had become controlled by the temple leaders, which forced the Gentiles to pay wages in order to receive the benefits of the sacrifice. It was one big gimmick. Israel was planted by God at the crossroads of the world to be used as a priestly nation to perpetuate the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. That was their call. That was their mandate. That was their mission. Israel was designed to be the open portal to the Gentiles and the nations around them. They were to serve God by serving people. They were to be a nation of priests. What's God said about us, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are now the priesthood of Jesus Christ, the church, the body of Christ. They were to preserve the gospel, make it known to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles might be saved. That was Israel's calling. They were to win the world for Jesus. The feast at Jerusalem was to represent welcome and inclusion The courtyard was to be the missionary wing of the temple, but instead it became a barrier of grace. Those coming to worship were exploited and treated with contempt in a place where they were supposed to be affirmed for their spiritual hunger. People come in hungry and broken, but they found no relief. There was nothing there but a bunch of religious protocol that met no kind of need in their life. Jerusalem had been heaven to the priest, of course, It was an insider city with extraordinary wealth. Josephus suggests that the city may have been home to as many as 20,000 priests. Can you imagine that? The number of the Pharisees were 6,000 at that time. And matter of fact, Josephus noticed, who is a Jewish historian, he noted also that there were four different priestly clans, among them 5,000 in each one of those clans, minimal. So we see that there was 20 broke up in four different categories. There are also 5,000 members of different religious sects and groups among the people. And the priests in Jerusalem became very wealthy and they prospered financially. Rich Jewish publicans, tax collectors. How many likes tax collectors? Anybody? These tax collectors also made their home in that old city of Jerusalem because that was the place they could exploit the people and get rich. Influential leaders settled there and many of them that lived outside of the city limits had a second home there. Sadly, the city had become a network of exploitation and manipulation. There was no middle class, folks, only the wealthy and the oppressed poor. And during the feast days, the rich and the powerful prepared to misuse their power and position to gain financially off the backs of these poor and powerless beggars coming to try to find God. Instead of the religious system ministering to the poor and the needy, it became a system that benefited the system insiders, namely the priest and the religious leaders the church people. The temple treasury had become like that of a national bank, actually. Matter of fact, did you know it was a place of incredible wealth Then it was accumu- uh, and as that wealth was accumulated off the back of the poor and sincere worshipers who desired to get closer to God, they began to offer temple loans, which would be available to the poor at an extremely high rate of interest. In other words, yeah, we, the temple got so rich, instead of us helping you, we're going to give you a loan, but it's going to be at about 30% interest. There was an annual payment of a half a shekel required at Passover by every male above the age of 20. It was kind of like a tax. And this was demanded on the entire population by Jewish law. It had become, in a sense, the entry fee to enter into the temple during this annual feast. Foreign money was not acceptable. So now these pilgrims, these Gentiles, needed to exchange their Roman coins for temple currency or they could not participate in the celebration. And when they did uh, exchange their money, they faced unreasonable high exchange rates. They were ripped off by the temple leaders. And any animal that these Gentiles may have brought to sacrifice, it was always judged for some reason by the Jewish priest as unacceptable because they were blemished and they were determined that they were unacceptable by God. So what happened? Oh, of course, the temple offered a convenient approved sacrificial animal for sale. But it was at a high inflated price. The hungry poor wanting to be accepted by God traded their so-called blemish sacrifice for an accepted sacrifice and they paid an outrageous trade, trade indifference. 
Not only did the temple leaders sell their sacrifice animals at an inflated price to these poor people so that they could have a sacrifice, but they also got the poor sacrificed for free. Can you imagine this going on? Then they would turn around. That a poor man would go up there and they'd say, oh, you're, it's blemished. So he would trade it in, give a big exchange rate for another lamb, and then he would go offer that lamb, and the lamb that he traded in, then they would sell it to the next poor guy. And I want to tell you, what a racket, what a scam, what a ripoff. It was nothing more than extortion. It was robbery. It was theft at its highest degree. Everybody in agreement with that? This is the church. Amen. I know, now I know that we are to take care of men and women in the ministry. Matter of fact, if we don't, we're cursed with a curse according to Scripture. I believe in sowing and reaping. I believe in tithing and offering. I believe in the laws of sowing. He that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. I believe in the law of giving. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall be given to your bosom. I believe in that. How many believe in that? I believe in the power of giving. But I am repulsed at the end time church that exploits the true meaning of giving and the true meaning of scriptural giving. Come on, somebody help me preach. You hear people, if you'll give $1,000 right now into my ministry, God's going to heal you of cancer. What happens if you don't have $1,000? Hello? Oh, if you'll just plant a dollar for Psalm 666 into my ministry. If you'll plant $666 into my ministry, God told me he's going to cancel your debt. Oh, if you'll give $50 because I'm the pastor and it's my 50th birthday and it's a sign of jubilee and if you'll sow $50 into our ministry, God's going to do supernatural things for you. I want to tell you that is a scam. It is a ripoff and it's no better than what they were doing at the temple. Somebody help me preach. Well, I'm about to get plum something. Hallelujah. We don't have people of courage enough to come against this prosperity movement that's teaching you that if you'll give $60 here and $50 here, you'll end up being rich and you'll have an airplane and you'll have everything. That is nonsense. It is apostasy at its highest. God help me. I don't want to stay on that. But it infuriates me to see preachers that are millionaires preach a prosperity gospel and, they, and, and millions of people fall for it in the body of Christ. They pray on the sick and the afflicted and the desperate that's wanting a need of a miracle and they'll throw out some kind of a thing there telling them, oh, if you'll do this, then you'll have your miracle. And they exploit the poor for more financial gain. I believe that God does sometimes challenge us in our giving. I'm not saying that. I believe that God does sometimes tell us to give when we're even in the time of famine, when we don't have it to give. I see that at the woman at Zarephath. Come on. I also know that God rewards obedience. I understand that. But you cannot give your way to blessing. The blessing comes by the way of the cross. It's by grace. It's by grace. It's by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not by works lest any man should boast. If you are blessed, it's because of what Jesus did and not what you have done. Period. I'm saved, I'm healed, I'm blessed, I'm delivered, not by my giving, but I'm delivered by the cross of Jesus Christ. What time is, I don't care what time it is. Jesus, after he turned over the tables of the money changers, he's in the temple, he's mad. He's infuriated with the church. It's not what it's supposed to be. It's not perpetuating the gospel. It's an extortion, place of extortion, place of thieves and robbers. Come on. In other words, it was a place about me, 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 me. All about what I want. What, heap things up on themselves. Some of us may not be extorting money, but we're extorting the blessing. God's richly blessed us. You know what we do? We take the blessings that God's put upon us, we heap it up to ourselves and we live our own lives and we do nothing with the anointing and the blessing that God and the faith that God has given us to help somebody else. We're just as guilty. 
Jesus, after he turned over the tables of the money changers and the seats of them to sow doves at the beginning of his ministry, he then leaves the temple. Notice it. He begins to minister to the people who were caught up in the extortion of the temple. He goes to them. He don't hang around with the upper elite. He don't even have any time for, with the priest. Are you listening? Those that were extorted, those that were robbed, those that were in mourning, they come there broke and they gave everything they got and they still left broke and the only one that fared was the guy that got their sacrifice. And some of you, if you're going to learn the art of giving and being blessed by your obedience, don't give to ground that is unfertile or you're throwing your offering to the wind. Give it into good ground. I hear people sometimes, you know, say, so-and-so got on television and told me this. And I gave him $1,000. I'm thinking, do you know what we could do with $1,000 right here? And that guy's going to pocket it and fly around in his jet on your money. And you're not going to get a thing out of it because you planted it in wrong ground. Where's the tomatoes? I'm about ready for them any moment now. Amen. But Jesus leaves the temple. He begins to minister to the poor who were caught up in this extortion racket. He's having compassion upon them because they were sheep without a shepherd, but yet they had a temple and they had priests and they had leaders, but they had no shepherd. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden the temple no longer drew the crowds, but now Jesus the person begins to draw the crowds. I like that. Woo! One day you walk by and that temple area is so jam-packed with people waiting in line. Paying their money, paying their money, paying their money to try to find some kind of relief for their suffering. Then the next time you see them, there's nobody in the temple, but there's a crowd over out there on a hillside somewhere. And that crowd is sitting at a man's feet called Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. The feast days begin to lose their glamour, their glitter, their excitement. He drew the crowds to the degree that it says in verse 18. And they sought how that they might destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. I love that. Jesus' actions begin to cause the temple to lose their wealth. Amen. Think about this. The hope of their gains were gone. Just like when the apostle Paul went to the city of Ephesus. And there's a woman with the spirit of divination. And he cast the demon out. And what he did, the hope of the gains of those, those that controlled her were gone. And they got upset at Paul. They whipped him and put him in prison. Here's these leaders saying, what are we going to do? The temple used to be full. We had glamour. We had glitter. We had excitement. Everything was great. But this guy comes around and the crowds are over there instead of in the house of God. They're upset. Jesus went around healing all the people. And he filled Jerusalem with his doctrine. And the Bible says, and the people followed him. The common people that went to the feast of the Passover to celebrate their liberation from slavery from Egypt found nothing but a system that enslaved them all over again. But all of a sudden, they begin to follow this man that said that he was the Passover lamb. And he was the man that would take away the sins of the world. And no doubt that each time that Jesus got around or even close to that temple, things got on edge. You know what I'm thinking about? You know what's coming to the church before liberty comes to the house of God? There's got to be a sense of edge about it. Because when Jesus comes in, the first thing he's going to do, he's going to start cleaning it up. And if you're not clean, you're going to feel a little bit of pressure. Come on, somebody help me preach. And here's Jesus and his followers. They come off the hillsides and come to the city to get something to eat. And everywhere he went, they followed him. They'd get by that temple and them priests would begin to tremble and they'd begin to shake. Don't you know the Jewish authorities thought, oh man, there could be a riot here. There could be, he's done coming here and turned this thing over once, but he was by himself. But he's not by himself anymore. Come on, somebody help me preach. They were not only afraid of Jesus, but they were afraid of the mob that was around Jesus. And matter of fact, do you not understand on many occasions the only thing that kept them from killing Jesus was the fear of the people. That's the only reason they didn't kill him. I'd like to wipe that man out, but we can't look at all the people around him. They will kill us. They will stone us. Now, I want, to see, I want you to see what just happened, how Jesus reversed something just like that. Everybody's worried about our world. I want to tell you, Jesus can reverse it just like that. Everybody say, oh, it can't be changed. We went too far. That's hogwash. There's still a God that can sit in the heavens and he laughs. He can turn things around just like that. Huh. Notice, we don't even pay attention to this stuff. 
But for the first time in history, the mob became respected and revered by the religious leaders. They found out that those were deplorables have now become admirable. Those that were despised have now become distinguished. Those that were extorted has now become honored. Those that were disvalued have now become valued. Come on. Without them, we go broke. Those that were considered the outcast has now become the prominent. All of a sudden, in a moment of time, out of nowhere, the powerful, the rich, the entrenched, the leaders of the temple have become the rejected and the outcast by the very society that they manipulated and controlled. Though the temple stood in Jerusalem, yet the temple had lost its glamour, its importance, its power, and now it's placed upon the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? It's a sad thing that, that of what's happened to this 21st century church. Do we not recognize where we're at? We have lost our glamour. We've lost our power. We've lost our importance, and we've lost our voice to the world, just like the temple did in the day of Jerusalem in the feast days. All because we have fell into this self-serving system that no longer meets needs of the people. We have embraced religion instead of righteousness. We've celebrated traditions instead of truth. Our, Our attention has been on protocol and instead of the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have lost the anointing that breaks the yoke and the bondage of sin. And when people come in, they come in the same, come in one way and they leave the same way they are. And the temple has lost its anointing. Jesus, after three years of going around ministering to the people, now he's coming to the close of his ministry. He showed compassion upon them for three years. He loved them. He embraced them. He healed them. And at the end of his ministry, he goes back to the temple again. He refused to pay the tax. He gets there and they're going to, they put their hand out, give me a shekel. And he says, no. He marches right on in. Who's going to stop him? He's got a mad mob behind him. Hello? He refuses to participate in their system. When are we going to quit? When are we going to refuse to participate in the systems of religion? He refused to embrace their beliefs. Instead of bowing to the system that still remained in that temple, he planted himself in the temple and he'd done something totally different than what he did the first time that he went at the beginning of his ministry in Mark 11. This time, he'd done something totally different. This time, he invited the blind and the crippled to come into the temple with him. And it says, and he healed them all, according to Matthew 21. He began to make the courts of the Gentiles the missionary station that it was supposed to be. He then taught them liberating truths in the courts of the temple in which, them, in which it was created for. Hello? The Bible says in Luke that the people rose up at dawn to come near to him and hear him teach in in the temple. Do you realize before the sun ever started rising, people were getting up and running to the temple because Jesus was there. I love that where it says about the little house where the man that was brought into a cot and they tore down the roof and later lowered him at the feet of Jesus and touched him. You know why that they went there? And you know why there was a mob? It was, it was completely full. It's because it says, but the presence of Jesus was there to heal them. And here's Jesus. He's returned back to the temple. He goes in and guess what he does? This time he's angry. He does the same thing he'd done the first time. He begins to turn over the tables, the money changers. He calls them thieves. Bunch of thieves. He said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. Come on. And the people are with him, and now he's teaching. They're getting up at dawn, and they're running in the Gentile court to hear him teach. What's he doing? He's now becoming an earthly priest on earth, and he's perpetuating the gospel that he commanded Israel to do. And he's doing it in the protocol of Jewish law in the temple in the courts of the Gentiles. He's fulfilling all righteousness. The temple authorities hated what was taught. They hated that he healed and delivered the people in the temple, the very purpose that God created the temple. Was the very thing that the temple leaders despised? Has he implemented his truth? The foreigners were welcome. The sick, the hot, the maimed, the diseased were now coming to the temple area instead of sitting outside at the gate begging. Amen. No longer are there people sitting out the gates begging because they can't get in the temple area. They don't have sacrifice. They don't have enough money. They're extorted. They're pushed out. But now the, the temple is to come to the place of whosoever will. And he brings them in. It would no longer be a place of the upper elite. 
This cramped the style of the leaders because it had interrupted their enterprise that they had established. It would no longer be a worship center housing only, only that of their own kind. But the disease, the sick, the outcast society would now begin to come to the temple area to be healed by Jesus, and he messed things up. And the Lord spoke to me and said, get ready for a mess up. Oh, I'm so ready for Jesus to mess this place up. I'm ready to him for to mess up your theology and my theology. Come on. The traditions that we hold to that ain't no more biblical than a man on the moon. He's about ready to rock your world. We fight over, oh, somebody got my parking spot or somebody sat in my chair. Somebody, I had that room scheduled and they got it. I went in and it wasn't cleaned up. I, I, we gripe about the most piteous things and yet we claim to be Christians and Jesus would have come in with a whip and whipped our tails. Amen. We get caught up in all this tradition stuff. Me, 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 me. What we want, what we want. If it don't go our way, we pout and we get upset and we get mean. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody here this morning. Oh, how I believe that we're about on the edge of a Pentecostal epoch. In our text in Matthew 21, after Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers, the seats of them and so doves, it says in verse 14, and the blind and the lame came into him in the temple. In the temple. In the temple, say it, in the temple. And he healed them. The miracles that happened outside are now becoming inside. At the end of Jesus' ministry, we see him reestablishing the miracles in the temple. I believe just as Jesus cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry, and he, he done it again at the end of his ministry, that it's symbolic to us here today. I believe it's teaching us something. I believe that we see the, what we see the early church do Mimicking Jesus' early ministry in the early book of Acts by going out and turning the world upside down. Isn't that what Jesus done? He left the temple. He went out in the world, turned the world upside down. That's what the early church did. They left the temple. They went to house to house, breaking bread among the people. That, they, they just left the temple altogether, and there was no longer centered, their, their ministry was no longer centered around temple. It was centered out in the outside. Amen? That's what Jesus did, and that's what the early church did. I believe even as they done that and turned their world upside down, that we, the latter church, is not only going to turn our world upside down through evangelism, that's what we're called to do. We're to be like Jesus. But we're going to mess up, tear down the rituals of traditions, the systems of religion, and the strongholds that hold the temple in bondage. As Haggai prophesied, folks, that the latter house is going to be greater than that former house. I believe in the spirit realm that this is the very cause to which he, Jesus, is now committed to the 21st century. Just like in his early ministry, here in these latter times, he's going to let us know that the temple is not the denominations, it's not the church of gods, it's not us religious leaders, it's not the people, it's not you, the congregations, the palace of praise belongs to the Lord of glory. It's his. It is Jesus that died and purchased the church and the church is his. It's not ours. But the Lord is about to take control of this temple and he's going to establish it back to its original purpose of its conception. You believe that with me? As he does, notice what verse 15 says. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Now how can you have those two phrases in the same scripture? They saw the wonderful things which he did, but they were sore displeased. How can they be displeased about wonderful things? They were. I want to tell you what's going to happen. God is about to rile up the religious. And he's going to stir up the sects, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and every other sees around. Amen? And there's going to be war in the house of God before this happens. Are you listening to me? There's going to be great opposition about what's about to happen. But I want to tell you, he's about to drive out those that are against and in, in, in opposition to his causes. He's going to cleanse his temple in these last days. Amen? I'm about to close in about 30 minutes. Look at verse 16. And he said unto him, they said unto him, hearest thou what these say? Jesus said unto them, Yea, have you not read out of the mouth of babes and suckling that has perfected praise? Listen to the prophetic word from your pastor. Jesus once again has now heard the children of God crying in the temple again. Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Glory to God in the highest. You know what that tells me? True worship. 
True praise, true sacrifice will be made back in the house of God in the latter times. No longer will there be a bunch of noise but no mystery. No longer will there be a bunch of rituals and no righteousness. No longer will there be a, no, a bunch of sacrifice but no salvation. No longer will there be a multitude but no manifestation. No longer will there be a feast but no faith. When he comes back after the church, it will not be a pathetic, anemic, weak, beggarly, frail, wore out a woman. But I want to tell you, when Jesus comes back after his church, he's coming back after a bride, a glorious bride without spot or blemish or wrinkle or any shame. He's coming after a glorious church. He's getting it ready. He's about to visit the temple. Can you have an amen? It will not, be just, it will not just have an appearance or an earmark of revival. It'll be full-blown revival when he comes. An awakening is coming to the church, folks, whether you realize it or not. The Jewish historian Josephus recorded an incident a decade before the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. Listen to what he said. He recorded how the, there was a mob that invaded the temple and burned certain archives. Many believe that these archives have been the promissory notes of debts owed by the poor. They burned the tallies of the money that owed to the temple leaders for sacrifices that they had bought. The national debt that was to be collected by the tax collectors were burned. And the loans of the poor people that they had loaned out with the high interest rates, they were burned. The extortion was stopped. The thieves were exposed. The debt was wiped clean and the people were free. Hallelujah. He went on to say the angry poor went out and robbed the temple booths, dragged them down like Jesus did, done the exact thing that Jesus did. And then it says, and they took the high priest and took them out in the streets and killed them. The very thing that Jesus did when he cleaned the temple, the people raised up under their own power under the anointing and done the very same thing. And now, before Jesus left, the true temple was cleansed. The priest that did not lay out a welcome mat to the global worshipers, but created an economical trap for them for their own personal benefit, they were destroyed. The churches that is all about me, 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 me mentality, wanting an atmosphere that fits to their own flesh, Fleshly ambitions will not, will not prosper, but they'll be abolished. The temple is to be for whosoever will. The temple is the Lord's. The, this place belongs to him and not to us. The Lord wants to have it. The Lord wants to have his way in this place. But folks, we gotta, we gotta get out of our own systems and our own thinking and our own traditions and our own culture. And we gotta lay ourselves down and let God be God in this place. Would you stand with me, please? I wish I could preach a little longer, but it's time to quit. I got you out of 12. I ain't got you out yet, but we're here. <laughs> Even though I believe that God has commissioned us to go out on the highways, byways, and compel them to come in, that's the great commission. That's what we got to do. We preached that two weeks ago. Yet with that, there is a call and a mandate upon this church to come in. And be a part, not of the entrenched establishment that is all about me, 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 me. What I want, what I like, what I desire. But we got to come in and be about what God wants and what God is saying. And we got to let the halt, the main. The, 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 I want to tell you, folks, them kind of things can cramp your style. And sometimes you can get so flooded by people that are different than you, you don't know what to do, and you're just going to be like John, uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer. You're going to be thrown in a great dependence upon God. God just let me have a little bit of insight about something this week. He said, you're going to be so overwhelmed and so overrun that you're going to say, God, I am weak. God, I am dumb. God, I am ignorant. I lack knowledge. I know not what to do. And he said, at the moment of your weakness is when you're going to shine the greatest. He said, because in your weakness, I'm going to be made strong. Because for the first time, you're going to be able to say, this is out of my control. I can't handle it as a pastor. Leaders are not going to be able to handle it. We're going to be so flooded in and things are going to be taking place and it's so different to what we like and what we want and what we're used to and what we're comfortable with. It's going to be out of, out of the realm of familiarity to the point we're going to be overwhelmed and say, what in the world's going on here? And God says, that's the day I begin to bring my glory back to the temple. Amen? Are you ready for it? If not, I want to tell you what's going to happen to you. You're going to be driven out. And you'll be driven out to your abyss because you can't handle the change that God's about to bring. God wants to bring the temple back to its original purpose. 
And the original purpose is not about money and making someone rich and, 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 and making someone comfortable and making something needy and tidy. It's about messes. It's about messes. Because he compared it in the book of Proverbs to a dirty barn that's got oxen in it, which is a harvest animal. And a barn that's got animals in it is messy. It has to scoop up manure. But we want a nice clean church where we don't have to deal with any kind of manure. Come on. But when the unchurched comes in, there's going to be manure. There's going to be filth. There's going to be dirtiness. There's going to be untamed habits. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be unregenerated thoughts. There's going to be ungodly actions. What are we going to do with them? We're going to put our arms around them and love them to death. We're going to love them. We're going to accept them into the temple. Come on. We're going to open our arms and say, whosoever will. Whosoever will let him come and drink of the waters of life. Then we're going to disciple them. Then we're going to train them. And the very ones that come in messed up is going to go out and mess up the world by telling them the story of Jesus Christ. Amen. Andre gave a prophecy over the church. I was going to get into it, and I can't because the time's not permitting. But he said he's seen cracks in the foundation. When he said it, my spirit was grieved. I thought, oh, no, Lord. Foundation means strength. I said, God, I don't understand. And then he said he seen the found that when that one was filled up, he seen another crack over here in the foundation. That one was filled up. And then he said, then down the center in the foundation, another crack. He filled it up. And I said, God, what do you mean you're cracking the foundations? And God said, the foundations is where I got to start. And some of you are going to go into some of the most intense warfare that you've ever experienced in your life. And you're going to be challenged to the very core of your faith. And he's going to rattle some cages. And he's going to crack some foundations. But what did Andre say the purpose was for? So that the foundations could stretch and be repaired till it becomes enlarged. God's about to enlarge this place. Are you listening to me? God's about to enlarge the palace of praise. But the thing that I want to ask you, are you going to be a part of the movement or are you going to be a resistor of the movement? Because it ain't going to look like you, smell like you. It's not going to have the flavor you like. And it's going to be different than anything that you've ever seen or experienced in your life. Are you going to be one of those old, long-nosed, hypocritical priests that stood in there and thought they had it all together and thought they were the elite and we got it together and no one else does? I want to tell you, what they thought they had was, was purity before God. What they had was pathetic before God. It was sickening. But Jesus is coming back to his temple. And he's going to do it. First visible sign that he done was healing the lame. Get ready for signs and wonders. And you're going to say, oh, how great this is. But when that happens, watch out. Because there's going to be a sect rise up in the spirit realm that's going to hate it. And they're going to fight. And they're going to oppose. And they're going to slander. And they're going to lie. They're going to do everything they can to oppose the move of God that's going to take place here. I'm prophesying over you today. Now I'm asking you, do you got enough guts to commit yourself to the cause? Are you going to be a reformer like Luther, Wesley, Whitfield? Are you going to have a backbone and say, hey, I'm just going to trust in the Word of God here today and I'm going to stand out on Scripture and what happens is going to happen, but I'm not going to be a part of the entrenched establishment where I have a me, 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 me mentality. I'm letting go of me mentality. I'm not going to gripe about anything. I'm going to flow with the flow, good and bad. It's going to happen. There's going to be mess-ups. There's going to be manure. There's going to be all kinds of things that we're not going to like, but when, the, when it's all said and done, Jesus is going to be in our midst and signs and wonders are going to be following us. If you want to be a part of that church, I want you to march your way up forward. Just for, We're going to get out of here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Get close. Get crammed in here.
For the call has gone out. Participate. Do not spectate. Do not speculate. I, the Lord God, am in your midst. And I am ready and waiting to be a part of your life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But as a part of your life, I can move and launch you into your destiny. I am here to launch you into your destiny by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thursday when I seen all them men come out of nowhere out of the brambles of, uh, of work some of them getting right off of work they come and we had a thousand chairs to move in and several hundreds of chairs to move out had to, it was a lot of work had to uncrate them and tear off the plastic tear off the cardboard and all these men just gathered together they were eager to work for the cause of setting up chairs I thought, God, if we could get a workforce like that in the spirit realm to where at a moment's notice you could call upon men to rise up and women to rise up and learn how to operate in the spirit realm the way we operate in the needs of the flesh. God began to speak to me and he said, you are remnant. I've told you that over and over and over. And what I have preached today as he started in the beginning of his ministry and he cleansed the temple and he left it. But before he went by the way of the cross, he went back to that temple and reestablished its original purpose. He said that the early church has went out and left the temple. But before I come back after the church, I got to reestablish it to make it the bride that it's supposed to be. And I'm coming back to the church. Don't abort my call. This is serious stuff. If there's ever a time for you to be committed to the cause of the kingdom, it is now. It irritates the fire out of me when you begin to sometimes get a list of people and you begin to go and follow up, try to get them involved in ministry. Well, I can't. I'm going to school. Well, I can't because I, I got this. I can't. I got this. But then when it comes to ball season, they make time for that. That's the most. Pro oh, we can't miss that for nothing. We got to get little Johnny to his ball game. Is there anything wrong with ball games? No. But I want to tell you, we are fooling ourselves sometimes of the lack of commitment to the cause of the kingdom, not the cause of to the church. We don't want to get into this priestly system that they were involved in. It's not about this building. It's not about this church. It's about the kingdom. It's about Jesus being the person that we follow. It's about as he goes back to the temple, we follow him back into the temple. Can I have an Amen. I want us as a body of Christ to recommit our lives to Jesus Christ right here. Because you know what turned the world upside down is when them people left the temple and they committed to the person, Jesus. Amen. What was the change of the temple? Only when Jesus became the Lord of that temple and came back and tore up Jack all over again. He gave them three years to get their act straight. And he came back at the end of his ministry and it was just as messed up the day he come back as the day he left it. Even though he ministered to it and corrected it, they did not adhere to his corrections. And some of you are going to say, oh, he said a bad word. No, it's a scripture. They became bastards. It's called illegitimate children. That's what Paul used in the term in the New Testament. That God said, I'll no longer be their father. And he lifted it off of them. For three years he came to the old fig tree and he looked for fruit and found none. God the father, the husbandman, said, I'm going to cut it down. I'm going to burn it. Oh, but the caretaker in the garden, Jesus, come by and said, oh, don't cut it down. Give me three more years with it. Let me cumber it. Let me take care of it. Let me water it. Let me fertilize it. Let me prune it. Let, let me give it another chance. And because of the intercessory of Jesus Christ, the fig tree remained three years longer. At the end of the three years, they come back to that fig tree after loving it and embracing it and teaching it, doing all that they could do. And they looked and there was no figs on the tree. It was cut down. The fig tree being Israel. And here we see Jesus gave it a three-year chance. How many chances has he gave us? Let's don't blow it. Are you ready for the mandate on the palace of praise? Would you recommit your life to Jesus Christ right now? Would you ask God to forgive you of all sin? 
to help you to embrace the move that's to come that you don't understand, to give you wisdom and say, God, let me not be fearful. Help me to be ridded of my traditions. Help me to be ridded of the rituals that I, patterns that I put in my life that's not godly. Help me to, Lord, just love you, to serve you, to be committed to your cause, to your kingdom, to the lost, the poor. Help us to love them. Help us to be a shepherd to them because they have no sheep, they have no shepherd. Help us to be a loving church, a caring church, an open church, anointed church. Visit with us with the spiritual epoch. Would you pray that right now? Say, God, give us a supernatural, abundant Pentecostal epoch. God, visit with us with your spirit. Empower us. We're hungry. We, we have a deep, gnawing, aggravating feeling inside of us that something's lacking. God, that there's something lacking in the church world. It's not meeting the, the demands and the needs of the world, God. We're all about meeting our own demands and our own needs. But God, help us to be like you. Forgive us, God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray over this congregation right now. I pray health, healing, and wholeness that we might be able to be the high priest that we're supposed to, the priest that we are supposed to be. You're the high priest. But God, we come right now in the name of Jesus. We pray for a spiritual uh, happening in our midst that will revive us again, that we might be able to rejoice in you. Help us to be the temple, the church that you're proud of. Help us, God, to be a glorious church without spot or blemish. And I give you the praise in Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning. Give the Lord praise. I see you do it.